I started thinking about dating. Um, not at all before the end of college. So I graduated college. I was super nerdy. I just never thought about being social. My friends used to say they never saw me and they didn't. That's true. I was always studying for something. And so I graduated college and I was like, oh, I need to learn how to be social now. I have time. I'm living in Washington, DC. This is like my time after college. I'm going to learn how to be social because I know everyone says this is an important skill. <laughs> And so I was like, I'm going to learn it. And so obviously the way I decided to learn it was the way I learned everything up to that point, which is through books. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast. I'm Dave Glazer in Denver, Colorado, and I am honored to be joined by my special guest, another Denver local relationship and dating coach. Chelsea Sterling is an investigator on the Enneagram personality assessment test, and that gives us a little bit of insight in how she has uncovered all of her secrets that she's bringing with her today. She wanted to share with you guys what it takes to be a work in progress and a masterpiece all at the same time. And her overall message is to how to build confidence while you're dating and meeting new people. We both agree that building confidence and understanding yourself better when dating can be a big part of your personal growth journey. We are sponsored by the Center for Shared Insight and Dr. Kristen Hick. If you're looking for additional support from a counselor or a therapist here in the Colorado area, please reach out to Dr. Kristen Hick at the Center for Shared Insight, as she has been an, a huge supporter and sponsor of the podcast over the last six months or so. She's accepting new patients who are looking for divorce recovery, as well as coming to a better understanding of who we are and how we show up in the world as our authentic selves. Save your seat for the exclusive open house event one week from this coming Tuesday, where Dr. Kristen Hick is going to come join us and share all of her dating tips and secrets. Don't forget to save your spot today by heading over to Instagram and clicking the link in our bio that says join the group. Fill out an application today and we'll be sure to save you a seat for the upcoming event. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Chelsea Sterling. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined by Chelsea Sterling. How are you today? Good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, we got to the chance to know each other better over our pre-interview call. And uh, what I didn't know is that uh, you were seeking out a PhD at one point in your life. Tell me yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, I was. So that's a funny story. Um, I So I went to, to college for media studies and I loved it. It was just what I like, I wanted to do. I'm like an Enneagram five, so I'm very nerdy. And I was just, I loved it. I loved everything about it. And so I went on from there. My dream was to study at Oxford um, for graduate school. And so I got in thinking I would do then a PhD. And that was, um, after I had done my master's, it just, it just wasn't right for me. Like I loved academia. I loved writing was my thing. Writing was my passion and I loved it. But at the same time, just the, the PhD was a little too much alone time. And so um, <laughs> I went from there and um, decided to, you know, obviously switch into what I'm doing now. But my, my master's was going to be in film and then my PhD I wanted to do in writing. It was going to be writing, um, like the process of writing. So like kind of the psychology behind writing, which I later found out, everyone kept telling me it wasn't a thing, it wasn't a thing, it wasn't a thing. It is a thing, and this guy named James Pennebaker actually does it, and he's um, he's like really famous for doing it. So it's, it's a thing, um, but it's not my path anymore. 
Right. And then you decided to pivot and uh, you chose relationship coaching instead. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird transition, but for me, it's kind of always, I was thinking about it actually um, the other day. And then again, this morning I was journaling about like, if some if he asks me like, how did I get from there to here? What am I going to say? And it's, as I've been thinking about it over the past couple of months, especially like um, more and more as I'm getting into explaining what I do to people, um, it's kind of, I see it, it's kind of the same thing because what I was doing in media studies, media studies is kind of an interesting field where it's, it's sort of a hybrid field of like media and technology and the study of how they impact um, culture and how they impact the way people think and the way society goes. So like things like sociology and economics and psychology, just lots of things like that. And so for me, it was always about the study of like how I think. And I, I always was in college thinking about like, how do I think and how do I perceive the world? And I was answering questions for myself because in college you do. And then I think as I got older and a little bit, I moved beyond just thinking about me and I started thinking about, well, how does everyone else think? And like, how, how do people think in the world and how can I move this? And so for me, when I got to graduate school, um, it was, film was a little too narrow and I found myself thinking, I don't actually care about what some guy a hundred years ago or said about this film because that doesn't impact anybody today. And that doesn't actually, it's just, it's a, but academics is a bunch of old, like people arguing about things that like is out kind of outdated or doesn't really impact anybody but them. And I thought mm -hmm. it was really important to me that we look at, I don't know, real questions. So I found myself reading more and more about the kind of stuff I'm doing now. I was constantly like my escape to get away. The things that I felt actually mattered when I was doing my, my graduate research were the things I'm reading now. So I was like reading Brene Brown and I was reading um, Esther Perel and I was just doing all of this other kinds of reading, kind of doing my own like philosophical search into how people think. And that's kind of how I pivoted because dating was my case study. Um, I'm a dating coach and relationships coach, but that was like my case study for these like big questions that I've always had. Oh, I can totally relate to that. And as I'm listening to you talk, I just hear so much of the investigator in you. <laughs> but what I heard you say is that um, media studies kind of combine technology with psychology. And that might have given you a springboard and kind of like a, a foundation of expertise when it comes to, say, like dating apps. I really so enjoy dating I think they're fun and I know that like everybody hates them and I can see why, but like I had a really good time when I was on dating apps because I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. If you go into it with like, I'm going to learn something new or I'm going to enjoy this uh, experience, then you have a totally different mindset and frame around the experience and um, got really good advice last week from uh, one of our previous guests that said, set an intention for what you want this to be whether it be a dating app experience or a date that you get from the app. I really like that advice. I think that's so wise. I agree. Totally. I'll introduce you to Abby. She's the, just the best. So yeah, I love that. You, I love connecting yeah. with people. Yeah, same here. And that's really why the podcast got started in the first place is I wanted to connect with other people who were like-minded and build a community around experts like yourself. And then I get to benefit from the education along the way too. And um, I have started to see some trends and some commonalities when using dating apps. What do your clients experience that 
kind of like rise to the surface on those on those commonalities. I mean, everyone talks about being ghosted. Everybody talks about everybody talks about being tired of dating and like being burnt out because it's just a lot of like either. So I work with women. Those are my like primary people that I work with, but I end up working out with a lot of working with a lot of men as well. I don't know why they just, I guess they find me and they want to work with me. And so it's interesting because they talk about, obviously it's harder for men to get right swipes. And I think that has a lot to do with how men, a lot of men, my own boyfriend included, don't really know how to market themselves, especially on a dating app. And so he was telling me his experience when he first started dating and his profile said it awful. Um, honestly, it sounded awful, but a lot of times when I work with their profile and I'm like, oh, you know, you, this is a flattering picture of you, not this one. This is how you write a bio. Talk a little bit more about your things like that. So I think um, with men, it's like not enough right swipes. With women, it's um, they start a conversation and people aren't responding to them after the first couple of conversations. Um, so it's, I think people are looking for connection and not finding it. Or on the other side, we have people who I think have been on a couple of dates and then it fizzles out and that's hurtful. Mm -hmm. It's natural because you can only, you know, you can't end up with everybody, but it, it is hurtful. Yeah, I, to I totally understand that. And I feel as if maybe the men are reaching out to you for a female perspective and to get advice from um, the kind of the, the demographic and the person that they're looking for. So I totally get why men would reach out to you. Uh, women primarily reach out to us through the podcast. It's just a, you can't fight who wants to work with you. You know, yeah. your niche grows and they, they kind of gravitate to you based on who you are. Mm -hmm. And sense. your approach is very methodical and very step-by-step. -step. Um, as the investigator, you've done your research mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. into what works. And you're right, like guys get fewer matches, but mm -hmm. then women get frustrated with the guys not responding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's your idea on why the guys stop talking to a girl that they match with? So I think men tend to cast a wider net. And I think that you're not going to connect with everybody who connect if you cast a wider net. Um, I think that a lot of times there are things women can do to like connect better with people on apps. So for example, um, a lot of times if a guy is just swiping, swiping, he connects with a bunch of girls um, or he only connects with, with one or something, I guess. I, I don't know how many he connects with, but he connects with people. <laughs> and he, um, a lot of times I see women say, well, he stopped either. He, he doesn't really stop talking, but he'll like stop talking after the first date. And it could just mean you didn't have a great connection. And that that's fine. I don't think that's a problem. I think it's a good way to weed people out, especially if you're not connecting, but there are things that like, I guess you can do to connect better. Um, and that's something I used to be really, really into when I was dating. Um, it's funny because now I teach people to be authentic and weed people out pretty early on. And if you weed people out, then you're like, don't worry about weeding people out because you will be uh, keeping in the people who actually like you. And I think that's a much better dating strategy. But mm -hmm. I am super well-versed on all of the things you could do to get people to like you because that's what sure. I did for a long time. <laughs> And I think yeah, that's not necessarily a terrible thing if you're just being more charismatic because you want to connect with people. I think that's like a much better, healthier way to use that knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. The more tools that we have in our toolbox, the better. Uh, we're not talking about like manipulating people into liking you. We're just simply 
um, to your point, we're weeding out people who are not meant for us, which from my perspective saves me time and energy, which I'm short on both being a busy business owner and you are too. So I'm sure that you can relate to that, but I, I want to kind of step back just a little bit and talk about when people are talking and communicating on the apps, because I, it kind of came to mind when you said why it fizzles out maybe after like five or six messages uh, when a girl is talking to a guy. Okay. And I've seen that trend as well. I've seen that where men are always like three feet from gold, yes. where we have such a short attention span that we're like, hey, I asked this person three questions and I got really short answers back, probably because she has 10 times more matches than you do, bro. But because they don't get that response or that they feel they're entitled to that response of like, I want her to go all in right away, that they stop. They stop communicating. They stop putting forth effort and they stop trying. And they're always just three feet short of gold. Yeah. They're that. not digging enough. You know, like when I take my approach to online dating, when I was on the apps is I would take the lead and it's my responsibility as the masculine pole to like, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask, start asking questions that matter to me. Yeah. I used to do and that then, too. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of the and if people. Yeah. Yeah. If people stop responding, then that's great. I've actually found somebody who's not interested in the same things I am and it fizzles out and that's great. Yeah, I agree with that. What, what else comes to mind for you? What advice would you give somebody um, who's always three feet from gold? <laughs> so I worked with this one client who, it was really sweet. He was um, hadn't really dated much and was trying to learn how to use dating apps, basically. And so I remember talking to him and he would say, so no one's responding to me. And I was like, and I, it was a, when I have a text program. So I have a text-based coaching program where people can text me for advice and I will respond in real time. And it's a way of me doing like a lower cost offer for people who may not want to pay for my full coaching packages. And so he was one of those clients and I was noticing you get a real, when someone's texting you, you get a really good sense of how they text. And he was texting me like very short sentences, one word, like not very much. And I was like, I think the reason they're not responding to you is you're not giving them much to do. It's just, he's like, they say yes or no. And it's like, cause you're asking like a really quick question. So part of it was teaching him how to speak conversationally in a text so that you're asking open-ended questions, you're getting answers, you are then asking one big thing we worked on was just follow-up questions. Ask her a follow-up question. Um, look at what she's said. So what is it called? It's called like I forget the word, but there, there's a name for this like conversational technique, but it's, it's where you like look at what somebody said and then you like take one of those things and you piggyback off of them and ask a question or you follow up and he wasn't doing that. So I was like, okay, we do that. And then, then when we got to it, he was like, so, um, girls are ask, talking to me now. So then what do I do? And I was like, I don't know. You talk to them, you ask them on a date and he's like, okay, so then what do I do if, uh, what do I do if I don't want a relationship? Do I have to have a relationship with them? If I talk to them, I was like, no. All you have to do, all you have to do is like get to know them better. And when, when you decide you want a relationship with them, then you, you ask about it. He's like, I never thought about asking them directly. And I was like, yeah, all you have to do is you just ask them directly. And then do you want to be in a relationship? And she'll say yes or no, or maybe I'm not ready yet. And then you go from there. So he was just 
I think he was scared and I think he was just like not quite taking the next step and he like felt like he didn't know how when in reality I think in real life he probably knows how he just felt like dating apps or dating was like a completely different territory and I think that's Mm -hmm. how I felt when I started dating I I didn't really know how to interact socially at all actually when I started dating and dating was like my test grounds but um I was like, I was really nerdy in college. And after college, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn. But um, I think dating doesn't have to be different from most human interaction. It's just learning kind of how to take already acting natural into that context, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want to, we definitely want to invite somebody into our life and our experience and be interesting. But we also want to be interested in what they have to say, too. So I, I saw this uh, I saw this meme the other day. You know, memes are our love language around here. And it says, can you really not ask a guy more than one question at a time? Because he never responds to both. That's true. And it's 100% <laughs> true. That's true. So if, if a guy picks one thing out of maybe like a two-sentence text message and focuses on that one thing that he can relate to, then that's amazing com- communication yeah. and very conversational through text messages. So I totally encourage people to practice what you're talking about. There's a name for it and I don't remember. It's like conversational threading or something, but it's just like, I think Mark Manson actually first introduced me to this. He has this really great book called Models and it's a book on men's dating and relationships. But I read it back when I was single, like way back in the day of being like, I'm going to understand the other side. And it's actually a really good book. Um, but he, I think he talks about it because he was trying to teach men who weren't sure how to approach talking to women, especially when they get nervous, if they find them really attractive. That was one of the things he suggested. And I've, I found it really helpful, not for me, but also not only for me, but also for my clients. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And from my perspective, um, I was definitely roadblocked. I was definitely frustrated with the dating game, um, mostly because of I hadn't grown to the point of where I wanted to be in order to be ready for a partner that I was seeking. So I hadn't leveled up yet. And that was my frustration. But how we got introduced is through your current boyfriend, through our men's group and practicing this conversational technique with the men in the men's group helps me become more authentic and it helps me become a better dater too. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea too. And I've, Um, that's another thing I try to, I teach people is just, um, or work with people around is like, have conversations with everybody because you're going to get a better time just talking and you need to be able to talk to be able to talk to people you find attractive because people you find attractive aren't any different from anybody else. They're just their people, but you get nervous because you think that they're, I don't know, above you or more attractive or wow, I have to impress them. So then it's like, if you talk to, I used to do this all the time when I was single and now I'm kind of a grouchy little gremlin, but I think for (laughs) a long time, especially when I was single, I talked to everybody. It was, I talked to the person at the gym. I talked to the bartender. I talked to, um, everybody. I always smile and always said hi. People used to say, you're so friendly. You're so outgoing, but I lived in England at the time and I was American and everyone there is very reserved. So I seemed very outgoing. Um, even though I'm pretty introverted, but I, I talked to everybody and I think it really helps with like, when you're talking to everybody, you just get in the habit of talking to people and then you can talk to somebody you find attractive too. It's not going to be as hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely coming to an abundant mindset where um, I get all of this exchange of love between all different types of love too, like 
oh, a friendly love or a, a physical love with my jujitsu teammate, or, you know, we're just operating from a place of love as opposed to a, pay, a place of scarcity of like, oh shit, if I say the wrong thing, they're not going to find me attractive because I find them attractive. And you just operate so tightly. Uh, you're keeping so much close to the chest. And I think that when I found um, our men's group was a, an eye-opening experience for me because I could approach my conversations with those men with talking about the things I'm ashamed of and talking about the things I'm less confident about. And then the more I practice talking about the real human things about me, the more easy, the easier it is for me to talk to women I find attractive about those same things, which is the important mm -hmm. stuff. Yes, which is the important stuff, absolutely. So I think there's a tendency with, um, with anyone when you find someone really attractive um, to, what, what's the word? Like when you feel like you have to impress somebody, it's almost a, like you're trying to control the situation. It's almost a manipulative interaction because you are trying to get something from that person. So most of the time when a, a man buys a woman a drink, it's because he wants to buy a conversation from her. Or most of the time when, um, oh, I don't know, when you're coming up to somebody and trying to think of the right thing to say, you're, you're trying to control their perception of you, which is a way of trying to control the situation, which comes from anxiety, but it's also kind of a manipulative thing to do at the core of it. So alternatively, if you can kind of give up, and there's, it's more complicated than this, but if you can kind of give up needing to be liked, and come from a place of whether they like me or not, I'm going to be okay at the end of the day. It's a much more fluid interaction and it can come from a place of like um, much more genuineness and sincerity. And that's how people connect. You, you connect from a place of genuineness, not from trying to always say or do the right thing. Um, and that's something I used to do a lot of. I used to always um, try to be the perfect date. And I'm really good at being the perfect date. I'm like, you know, I'm going to be fun. I'm going to be friendly. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to like say all the right things. But that wasn't getting me really good connection at the end of the day. And so I try to coach my clients around having those genuine connections, because even if you only want a casual relationship at the end of the day, you don't have to be looking for your soulmate, but if you want casual connections, or if, even if you just want a casual sex, like no matter what you want, genuine interactions are going to be more fun for everybody and are going to get you the people that are really your people. And you're going to enjoy being around most at the end of the day. Yeah. I couldn't agree more that trying too hard, will actually roadblock you from finding that true connection. Mm-hmm. A pretend you and just like it, saying what the other person wants to hear is, is manipulative. And it's also not going to find you a person who likes you for you. Mm -hmm. Because you'll eventually be exposed down the road. You can't keep those secrets forever. Yes. Yeah. And when you do, they may not like you, which is great because then you can move on and find someone who does. <laughs> um, uh -huh. Yeah. I just, I'm a big proponent of being genuine from the beginning. Um, that's, it's really important to me. Um, and I, I mean, you, you obviously don't, no one has to do, has to decide that they want to be genuine in their dating interactions. I just personally believe it's like the best way to connect with people. Absolutely. I, I think that it's the shortcut to getting what you want is showing up as your genuine and authentic and sincere self so that when they do end up liking you, you're like, oh, I do know that they like me for the real me because I presented the real me. Yes.
And I think that makes a difference too with like, in if I look at my personal dating history, my current boyfriend really likes me for me and I am so weird around him and it's fine. It's great. We have a great time. It's the best relationship I've ever been in. Um, up until um, I think maybe a year or two before we started dating, I definitely had, I always felt like people didn't really know the real me and I had relationships and I had connections and I had, um, you know, I had people who liked me, but I, I never felt like they really knew me. And at the end of the day, I feel like we, especially women, we really want to be known and understood and seen. And if you are being the perfect date, you're blocking yourself from being seen and understood. You're blocking yourself from what you really want. And um, I had a friend tell me, she's like, you know, maybe on your dating profile, this was back when I was um, back on dating apps, like before I met Anthony. And she was like, you know, maybe on your dating profile, you should like not post really good pictures of you because um, you don't want someone who just likes you for your looks. And I was like, okay, so that's not quite where we're going with this. We don't, we don't want someone who thinks, <laughs> like thinks I look different than I do. But at the same mm -hmm. time, I'm going to post more like, instead of saying I like, I don't know, I like all the things the guys that I think are going to like me like. Um, I, these are the actual things I like. These are the actual weird things I do. These are my actual like quirky niche interests. And I love writing and I love this obscure band and this and this and this. And hopefully people like me for, for these things. And um, then if they don't, that's, that's great. And that was the first time I'd actually started weeding people out. And I got much better results. And then, I mean, ultimately, ultimately I got into relationship, but that wasn't from, we didn't meet over dating apps. Sure, of course. I, I love this part, part of the conversation because I have a friend I love dearly, and I did come across her profile on Bumble once before. And because I know this person so well, I could see the authenticity behind the language that was used in the bio, but every single picture was from a professional stock of business photos. And because I know this person, I'm like, oh, that is her authentic self. That is her true self. But what I love about that person is the person that I've known, not through the professional bio pictures or the headshots or whatever. Um, I enjoy the person who exudes the confidence, mm -hmm. who brings her, her levity and brings the candor to the table. And I would recommend any of my guy friends get to know her in person, not through these professionally done photographs, because that's the, that's the gold of this friend that I have is who she truly is. Yes. So that's actually an interesting point. Um, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I just did an Instagram post on photos that you use for, for um, your dating profile. And I think, so it's tricky. I think um, it's going to be a hard sell to not use photos that you really like of yourself, especially if you want to be confident and you want to present yourself in the way that you're the most confident. Um, and I think also like, I mean, you want to be pretty on your dating profile. At the same, I mean, most people do. It's just like a natural urge. Um, but I think at the same time, one thing that I've been really talking to women about, I did my post about was um, making sure that you, it's more important to be genuine than it is to have a, a really well curated photo. Um, I think 
because obviously you want to connect with people and like looking at the camera and smiling is really important in connecting with people because that's what you do when you meet someone. So you want your first photo to be looking at the camera and smiling because you know, you want to connect with people and that's what you do when you meet someone and shake your hands, you look at them and smile. Um, and so, and also there's, there's studies showing that that gets better um, engagement on a dating profile. However, I would never advise someone to not use, if they have photos that they really love themselves, not use them because I think that they're, they're going to want to put their best foot forward. They're going to want to be, do that. So I think it can be half and half, I guess. And the reason I sound like kind of back and forth on this is because I'm like, I'm still thinking about it because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like, do I tell people, um, you know, don't post any super curated photos? I don't think I'm going to tell them that because I mean, they, I want people to feel really confident in their, in their mm -hmm. profile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I, I hear where you're going with this is that like there's a healthy blend between the professional you, the made up you, a photograph that you absolutely love. Like on my profiles in the past, I have used a professional photograph um, that was done for somebody else's website. I was pretty much just like the guy who was in the picture, but it just turned out that it was a really good picture of me and it's one of my <laughs> yeah. favorites. Yes. Um, I use that one, but it's the only one that's really professional. Mm -hmm. The rest are really natural. They're good quality photographs, not grainy or not pixelated mm -hmm. or anything like that. Generally, uh, those pictures are things that I'm interested in. Maybe me and my dog, because mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. like dogs are family, right? And, or me and my daughter. Since she's 18, it's more comfortable for me to to share the fact that like unless they i'm not going to share girlfriend. what's that unless they think she's your girlfriend oh my gosh that happened once uh <laughs> my a friend of a friend or somebody in the building that i live in right after i moved in knew me through other people and she's like oh my gosh i saw dave and his girlfriend the other day in the building we're neighbors and they're like dave doesn't have a girlfriend <laughs> Could you describe this person that he was with? And they described my daughter to a T. She was 15 or 16 at the time. And, right, but she's a very mature, like, looking young lady. She's she's beautiful. And uh, they thought that my daughter was my girlfriend when they first saw me in the building. So we had some work to do to clarify who that was with me. <laughs> Our landlord, actually, funny story. I won't go too long on it, but he when I, I'm living with my boyfriend now, and when I was, I think, visiting, I think it was last November, um, he came, we were outside, and he was outside doing some, yard, he's always doing, like, yard work, but he was outside doing yard work, um, and he goes, oh, yeah, um, I, he's mentioned something about, like, is that the girl that I saw last week, or something, <laughs> <laughs> It was such a funny interaction because I trust Anthony so much. We were long distance at the time. We were about for a year and a half. And I, I just, if I had been anyone else, I think I would have felt like, who is that person? Like, what's he talking about? But I think he thought that I was somebody else the, the week before, or like, it, it was funny because it, he, it wasn't what he thought, but it just sounded awful. And then like, we've never forgotten it. Like every time we bring it up, like we see the landlord, we're like, oh, who's that other girl? And is she going to like show up? It was, uh -huh. it was really funny. That's so funny. I was, uh, I was getting my hair cut a couple weeks ago and 
my hairstylist and I've known each other for two and a half years or so. So we end up talking about who she's dating or who I'm dating at the time. And it's like therapy where yeah. bartenders are therapists, hairstylists are therapists. Hairstylist. She's wonderful. Uber drivers are, are therapists, et cetera, you know? And so she's telling me about the guy that she's seeing. She's going to be a guest on the podcast in a little while. Okay. And um, she's telling me about this and I'm like, oh, so you, you go over there frequently enough that it's no longer the walk of shame, right? Because now you, now you know neighbors by their first name or um, they're always out mowing the lawn when I leave on Saturday at eight. You know, it's just a funny joke, but I can see how if you do your hair something differently this week versus last week, you might look differently and it could be a totally different person. <laughs> Yeah, it was really funny, and I just couldn't let, I, like, the whole rest of the day, I just kept going, so, like, who's that other girl, and, like, he'd say something, he's like, so, did I mention this? I was like, nope, must have mentioned it to your other girlfriends, like, uh -huh. <laughs> all, all day, and, it, I mean, still, like, now I just say hi to him all the time, because cause he's always here, he's always doing hard work, but mm -hmm. um, hi to him, and I hope he recognizes my face now, but who knows? Yeah, those jokes can go a long way to like breed a connection between two people but after so long if it's used too often it can be like all right now we're a little insecure about the other person that you are dating or bringing over um i like those moments in a relationship because conflict breeds connection for my my enneagram type i'm not so sure about the investigator do you lean into conflict or do you step away yeah i'm very confrontational because <laughs> you want to know the truth right yeah and I just don't see the point in like why not like just just bring it out and then like blow it up and then it'll go away and I don't know I think I it took a while for me to get there I think I was raised in a household where conflict was like not not really a thing kind of swept under the rug but I think because of that I got more and more like more and more confrontational it's like no 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 we just have to talk about this and it'll go away and it's it's not in a mean way just in like a I want to bring this up kind mm -hmm. of way. Yep. Uh, as the Enneagram goes, uh, we had a good long discussion about it when we were getting to know each other better. The Enneagram type for each of us gets solidified in like late childhood or early teen years. Mm -hmm. And I could see how that conflict style that was in your home would help kind of solidify the investigator in you where I want to know the truth so that we can handle it and move on in a loving way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Would you, yeah, would you say that that's how you are when you're at your best or when you're at your average or when you're maybe not at your best? I think I'm almost always like that. Um, when I'm at my best, I'm much more calm about it. When I'm at my best, I'm much more like, you know, I start with I statements and I have a soft startup and I like, I'm a lot nicer about it. When I'm not at my best, I'm a little bit more like, why did you do that? But you know, I think mm -hmm. I'm relatively confrontational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally get that. The Gottman Institute has excellent research on conflict styles. It, yeah. I love them. I just read the seven principles for making marriage work. And now I'm talking about it all over Instagram because I just, I can't believe I hadn't read it. It's like the gold standard of like books that therapists like read to like learn about relationships. I never read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the Gottmans have been doing research for like 40 years on marriages and long-term relationships. And they do long-term follow-up studies with their, with their participants as well. And we were covering um, the four horsemen to a relationship last week in our group or two weeks ago. 
And then we were also talking about the conflict styles, which there's four major ones, maybe even five. And then the Gottmans have actually found antidotes to each of the conflict styles. So it's a hugely beneficial resource that I'm sure that you have gone down the rabbit hole on what to investigate about relationships because you've been doing it for so long. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And I um, might ask you to send that to me on Instagram if you, <laughs> after the podcast, but that that's so cool. And I think it's just so, I think it's, that's what I love. I love basing when I do coaching in research because it's, I don't know, for me, research is like the gold standard for, for, for figuring anything out. So it's like, I just think it's so cool that they did, they did the research around a topic that is previously thought of as not researchable. And I think that that is what kind of when I when I wanted to do my PhD, that's what I wanted to research is things that like explain the unexplainable or explain emotions, explain feelings, explain art. You know, I got my, my master's in film and it's just having words. I think there's artistic language and then there's like logical language to dis to explain discrete phenomenon. And I think I love both. I am pretty, I, I'm a wing four. So I'm pretty like artistic on the other side of me. Um, but I think that having like a blend of looking at like relationships is like a mystical entity and you like, you have a lot of myths around it, but at the same time, having some research to back it up is really like the ultimate, I want to say trifecta, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not three things, but it's like the ultimate blend for for like healthy, helpful relationship advice. Yeah, you're almost like getting the complete picture of um, the topic that you're studying is when you dig deep into the research and you find those two different ways to communicate it between logical and then the passion that exudes from um, the words that you're choosing. And I wanna kind of step back just a little bit and ask you a little bit more about um, your journey through dating. It sounded as if like, the research you did and the practice and the application um, and the practical use of all that research was almost the path of self-discovery for you. Would you say that that's correct? Yeah, I would say it's absolutely true. Um, so I started on this, I started thinking about dating, um, not at all before the end of college. So I graduated college. I was super nerdy. Um, I was, um, I just never thought about being social. My friends used to say they never saw me and they didn't. That's true. I was always studying for something. And so I graduated college and I was like, oh, I need to learn how to be social now. I have time. I'm living in Washington, DC. This is like my time after college. I'm going to learn how to be social because I know everyone says this is an important skill. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to learn it. And so obviously the way I decided to learn it was the way I learned everything up to that point, which is through books. I thought this is another skill. I can master it the way I mastered my research paper. I've just written a dissertation. I can do the same thing. So I basically just dove into it. And around that time, a friend had sent me a dating blog. I've been reading Mark Manson. So he had like several, Mark Manson before he published um, The Subtle Art was like, he had a blog and it was like a, I mean, you probably know all this, but he had a blog and it was, um, I really loved it. It was before he kind of got discovered and he'd been writing. He used to be into men's dating coaching and then he moved on to just writing about things in general. And so I'd been reading his relationship articles, but also a friend had sent me this blog called The Rules Revisited, which was one of the few resources at the time for women in, for women in dating. 
Um, there just weren't a lot of resources the way there kind of is now. And so I started reading that and then um, I got really into it. It's actually a really good blog. It's not updated anymore. It has some kind of questionable stuff, but overall it's a really good resource. Um, and then I started reading Hooking Up Smart, which was Susan Walsh's blog, and she was, um, she ran that for a long time, and then she stopped running it. It was actually taken over by my good friend, Jenna Birch, um, and she's, she's a, um, she wrote the book, The Love Gap, but she took over that from Susan, I think, when Susan wanted to stop writing it. But so I was a really frequent, I read that every day. I was like always reading it. And then I, um, I just was like really into it. I was dating kind of prolifically when I was in DC too, because it was a really like young, vibrant community of just like people, young people who wanted to date. And fast paced too. Oh yeah. 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 And it's like a networking city too. So everyone's always trying to meet new people. So it was just a really easy, like it was really, everyone talks about cities being bad to date in, but DC was a good, good city to date in. And so I was just, I would just meet people when I was like at the bar with friends or, you know, whatever, because dating apps weren't really a thing at that point. So I had to learn how to date in a world without dating apps, which really helped, I think, um, at first. And so then I really loved that. Um, and I, I got really, really into dating during that time. And then um, and it was really fun. I remember I just used to, I call my mom and cry and cry and cry because some guy hadn't wanted to see me after the second date. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't anyone want to date me? And it's funny to look back on because I, I can't believe I cried over somebody who I didn't really know like at all. Um, but I, I did like, that's where I was at that time. So I, I think I grew a lot. And then I moved home. Um, after the first year, my dad died. Um, he had had cancer for a while and he died. So I had to move back home. And then after that, um, I applied and went to grad school and I was dating again. Like I, I liked what I was studying, but it wasn't the same as undergrad. It wasn't, it didn't have the same like import of like answering the big questions as I think I had expected it to from undergrad. And so I, <laughs> my escape was reading about personal development and dating. So I was reading, I think personal development, certain kinds of, there's certain kinds of personal development that are not. Um, but I think some is, is, it's like modern philosophy. It's like philosophy and it answers the big questions. At least a lot of what I was reading did. So I was reading a lot of that and it was like my escape from the stuff that I found not that important and what I was working on for my film. I was like, I don't, I don't care about this film. I want to read about something important. So I was doing that. And at the same time, I also started dating this guy and his hobby was pickup. So he was part of the PUA community. So he did a lot of, he thought about dating too. Um, I, I don't have a lot of great things to say about the PUA community, but I, I can say that we talked about dating a lot. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> we talked about dating a lot. And so that was fun. Um, I, I kept thinking about it. And I think around that time was when I decided that like, I was growing a lot. Like my dad had just died. I was doing a lot of thinking just kind of about like, what, what do I want to do? Like, what do I care about? How do I grow? And then I went through a breakup with that guy. And it was just like, I, I told myself I wanted to grow my way out of the breakup. And so I just kind of like kept working on it, kept growing, kept growing. Brene Brown really helped me. She has this book called Rising Strong that I really recommend to anybody going through like a loss, but it's, it's really good. It has like a journaling. That's when I started journaling because she has a journaling technique in there. And, um, I think after that was I realized, oh, wow, I think I want to do coaching, but I didn't do it for years and years and years after that. So I graduated from grad school in 25th, I think it was 2016, 2016 maybe. Um, and I just, I obviously didn't start for a couple of years after that, but it, 
it, that's kind of when I knew. And I think when I decided to kind of take the leap was after I was in a relationship with my current boyfriend, I was like, what do I do with all of this knowledge I have in my head about dating? Like Mm -hmm. I, it doesn't really help me in any way now that I'm in a relationship. I I love learning about relationships, but the actual just like dating stuff, I was like, I want to pass this on. Um, And that's kind of what made me kind of take the leap. Yes, thank you so very much for sharing that story. And there's a lot in there. And I, I, I heard a few things that I resonate with a lot, especially since as the Enneagram type eight, when I'm not at my best, I actually gravitate more. My stress point is the five. Okay. Yeah, which is why we had so much to talk about the first time that we connected. And even now, I want to address the elephant in the room that I've never talked about on the podcast in two and a half years because you just brought it up. Yes. So I've always said that I went through a couple of breakups in 2017 unexpectedly. I never thought I'd be single again after eight years of relationships. There was two long-term ones and then a short one. And the second of the two long-term and the short one that were pretty close together, not, not on top of each other, but pretty close together were both transformational for me for different reasons. And when I went through those breakups in 2017, I was probably the most hurt I'd ever been, but I wasn't facing it. I wasn't dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So you could probably imagine that I was an unhealthy version of myself at that time. Mm -hmm. I had chosen to take time off of dating from that December until probably the next April. And during that time, I slid into the unhealthy version of me. So I gravitated to the investigator and I started doing research on myself. It was my own self-discovery journey where I sought out my counselor, Hannah, for 20 months. We spent that much time working together. So now we're at January. And then when I started dating again in like April, um, jumped on Tinder or something like that. It was the only one that I had known of. Um, maybe dabbled in Bumble a little bit too, because they're so closely related, but jumped on there and went out with a girl a couple of times. And I'm like, this is not how dating is right. Like we, we went out, we went out like twice and then had a gap and then went out again. So I like to joke around that it's our second first date. And then when we stopped seeing each other, just two dates each time, whatever, I'm like, this cannot be what it's like. Let me go out there and seek out the truth. Um, just got an email from Mark Groves the other day that said, I feel like I've been lied to my entire life about what relationships were supposed to be like. And that hit home from Mark Groves, like hit me to my soul, to my core. And so I started the podcast. And then I started doing the same thing you did is like, investigating why people didn't want to see me after the second or the first date or didn't even get to the first date because our culture has shifted so much in such a short period of time thanks to social media um, apps on our phones just the technology that has now come together in our um, most personal relationships that's what's changed since i had been single the first time and so much like you I'm on a journey of self-discovery by connecting with professionals on the podcast, but also doing my own investigative research, which 
kept me at that lower level of health on my Enneagram for so long. Okay, well, as I talked about last week on the podcast, the short mini episode, well, that's why my avoidant attachment style was so prevalent Mm -hmm. is because I was doing work on myself and I was staying within that, that level and that vibration. So nobody was going to come to me during that self-discovery period anyways. Does that resonate? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, I think for me, I was like, I, I had a lot of relationships, but none of them stuck. And I think too, part of it was, um, I was very avoidant. I was kind of a fearful avoidant, which is like the worst of all kinds. <laughs> but um, don't judge me. Don't judge me. I'm a fearful <laughs> avoidant too. <laughs> yes, and I like obviously I've become much more secure over time. Um, now, especially now that I'm in a healthy relationship, but um, it took a lot of work. But I think it does, doesn't it? Yeah. I think when you are very focused on yourself, um, it's. I think I have a sense of I need to be ready in order to like take the next step. And I think that's like a five quality and it's not necessarily a healthy five quality. So it's just, I have to know everything and I have to be very prepared before I can do this next thing. So I could see for you how it could be like a, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Um, And I wonder too, like for me, when I thought I wasn't ready, I had some like bigger belief work to do. Um, around Mm -hmm. just kind of, I was raised very conservative. I was raised very religious. And so for me, I think marriage was something that I had a lot of fear around because I had a lot of like expectations and baggage. And I thought, well, as soon as you date, you have to get married. And so uh, we're not ready for that. So I think there was like a more existential version of not ready for me. Um, But I think ready is, ready is a tricky one. Ready is a weird thing. Yeah, you hit it on the head for me. Absolutely. when we combine the context of what I just shared, um, when I'm unhealthy, I gravitate towards the five. That's my stress point. But also the eighth biggest fear is vulnerability. Oh, interesting. So if I'm going through a period of self-discovery and movement forward personally, I'm going to have my walls up. Yeah. And I'm not going to be, um, that's why Mantox is so important to me is because I was about to backslide into unhealthy version of me because I had lost my job. I didn't, I, there was so much uncertainty in the world in March when I joined and I met Anthony right after that. And the group has helped me um, become a more self-led resilient person, yes. but it's because I chose to be vulnerable in that group, share what's going on in my life so that I could get the support I needed in order to move forward. So you hit it on the head when you're like that, not ready quote is different for you than it is for me, but still, that vulnerability is hard. Yes. Yeah. Vulnerability is always hard. And I, yeah, I I totally resonate with that. And I think, I think with dating, it's, it's tricky because everyone wants to present their best selves, but I mean, you can have really great connections when you are not totally ready and maybe you, maybe you don't meet the person you're going to spend the rest. So maybe you don't meet the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And sorry, something just occurred to me. That's why I did that. But, um, it brings up that quote that everybody says that I really don't like about um, you have to love yourself before you can love someone else or you need to do your work before you can find your person. And I haven't found that to be true. And I understand the sentiment behind it, but I just really have not found it to be true. Um, Mm -hmm. I have had 
I, I think to some extent, like if you have an insecure attachment style, you're going to be pushing people away. Um, and you, you may not be able to find, you may literally not be able to find someone because you don't see them as the right person for you because you're insecure. But I think at the same time, it's, you can have really good connections when you're in that process of self-work. I don't regret any of my relationships, even the terror, like I've had some, some bad relationships, um, in my growth journey. And I think that I don't regret any of them. I learned a lot. And I, even when I met Anthony, you know, I've grown since then. He's grown since then. Neither of us were, I had my own like bag of issues when I met him and I hadn't fully worked anything out. And we had some, some turbulence at the beginning of our relationship where we were just like working through kind of my pulling away because I, I wasn't, I was an avoidant. And I think we still made it work and it's a really good relationship. So I just don't think that people have to be ready before they get into a relationship at least not in a lot of areas. I just have not seen that work out for most of my, I mean, I know a lot, my, a lot of my friends are in good relationships and they, you know, have the same, they have their own bag of issues. Everyone does. Right. But anyway, I feel really strongly about that. Really strongly. I, I, I'm on board with that. I totally agree that like we can be a work in progress and still have a good quality relationship at the same time. And why that's important is because there's no such thing as arriving just yeah. because you've found a relationship at that point in your life means that the growth stops. You just cannot, you can't stay put there. But I think that the growth mindset is the most important thing here that we're talking about is when you meet somebody and you have an attraction and you, you might not be quote unquote ready, but you know that this person is supposed to be in your life for some reason. If you have a growth mindset, you'll still be able to move forward with that person yes, absolutely. and not put all your baggage on them so that they carry it for you. Yes. But they might actually be able to carry it with you. Yes. And vice versa. There's that meme. What is it? Not all relationships are meant to leave to marriage. Some will help you discover new restaurants. And like, <laughs> it's, that, it's that idea where it's like you, I think relationships are a great vehicle for growth. And I, I don't think I'm a big advocate for casual dating, especially before you're ready to know what you're, what, know what you want. And you, you can have your own boundaries. I was telling, um, somebody reached out to me the other day on Instagram and I was talking to her about, she was like, you know, I, I've had some really bad experiences, relationships. And I was like trying to explain to her, Hey, look, here's a different mindset you can have when going into relationships. For example, I think of really good relationships like casual dating, like traveling to, to different countries. And you can have life experiences where you, you enrich yourself and their, their life experience through connecting. And it's, you're trying things on for size. Not everyone you date is going to be the person and you grow together or you learn something. You have, you learn more about what you want in a partner. You learn more about yourself. You you do some growing and then you leave the country, you go to the next country. And it's, you know, it's, you're, you travel because you want to have those experiences. You don't move to every country you travel to. And so, but it doesn't mean it's not a beautiful experience. It doesn't mean you regret going to those countries. Most of the time mm -hmm. we don't. I have a couple of countries that I do regret going to because I had a terrible experience, but <laughs> overall, <laughs> I don't regret really going. And so it's, I think it's, I think it's like a growth thing. And then you, I don't know, I think having the idea that you have to be with the person that you're dating is gonna limit you. 
Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, at some point, you commit if you want. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a monogamous person who wants to be in an monogamous relationship and you want to commit, a lot of times people commit and you grow together. Um, but you don't have to commit to everybody. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Um, I think that we should give you the opportunity to, to share if your message resonates with people. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I think Instagram for now. Um, Instagram is my most, I'm most active on there. I'm on there every single day. Um, and that's at Chelsea Sterling Coaching. And Chelsea is with a Y um, because that's a confusing spelling. Um, but and the, I guess the, so I have like a, I have a coaching package where people can work with me one-on-one. But the other thing that I've been doing a lot lately is um, like mini, it's the, text coaching. So I call it text support um, because I thought that was easy to remember. And it's um, people communicate. I communicate with somebody through it's for like a short, either two weeks or for one month and you sign up um, and then you, you know, pay up front and then you get access to me at like all hours, except after like, I think it's 9 PM. Um, and you can just have access to me at any time and it's like much lower cost than my normal um, coaching packages. And it's helped a lot of people. I've had some really great interactions with people over that program. Um, it's been really fun to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like a great way to get started, especially if somebody is frustrated or hesitant or just doesn't know the, the simple skills, like the gentleman you were talking about earlier of like, oh, well, if this is how you text communicate. Well, then I can understand why, somebody would not want to respond to that. Um, I never felt like I showed up well over text. So um, I backed off of communicating that way. And um, the later it gets into the day, like eight o'clock, eight thirty, nine, nine thirty, I actually start to like, my brain starts to shut down. So I know I'm not at my best at that time. So having text support, which is kind of like tech support, I love it. Having text support from you is like, okay, well, when I messaged at 8.45 last night, I got this or no response whatsoever. Well, Dave, it's probably because you're tired by the end of the day. Why don't you set a personal boundary with yourself of just not texting after like eight or nine because you don't, you don't show up like your authentic self because you're worn out from your busy day. Yes. That's, a, that's actually a really good way to set a boundary with yourself. So that's people listen up. That's a really good example of a great boundary to set with yourself with dating. Thank you very much, Chelsea. I feel validated. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun to talk to you. My pleasure. Absolutely. Let's catch up in the next six to 12 months and and see how life is going. And I appreciate all your uh, transparency and authenticity today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to speaking to you. My pleasure.